0: those of you aware that uh, the normal sort of children's and youth activities will be returning next, uh, uh, next weekend, next uh, Sunday and uh, so that, uh, that will happen then but uh, for a moment we're turning to God's word which is from John chapter 3. We're following our series that we've been going through uh, the summer months of encountering God, encountering God in very different circumstances and situations of life. We began by looking at uh, Moses when he encountered God in the wilderness and how we can encounter God in the wilderness of our own lives. We then moved on and looked at Gideon where he encountered God in his own weakness and his own frailty and again looking at how we encounter God in our weaknesses. We looked there last week at, at Hannah. And the story there that we have. And looking and seeing how we meet God in our distress or our disappointments. This morning we're coming to encounter God in the shadows or in the darkness. And uh, we're looking at a character called Nicodemus. And I'm going to try and be brief on this because time is moving on. But again, it's a very evocative image. Encountering God. In the darkness, Let me read from this passage in John chapter 3. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born? Jesus answered, very truly I tell you. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses was lifted up, lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And we'll leave the reading there. We've got a passage there in front of us this morning that is full, full of spiritual truth, full of issues and questions that we could look at teaching from the lips of Jesus, teaching about spiritual birth, teaching about the work of the Holy Spirit, teaching about suffering and death, teaching about God's amazing love to each and every one of us. And within that, there is that call to follow Jesus, to accept who Jesus is. Now, I'm going to confess this morning, I'm not going to be focusing on that teaching, but rather the context in which this passage comes to us. And that context is found in verse 2, where it just simply says that Nicodemus came to Jesus at night. Nicodemus came to Jesus at night. In other words, Nicodemus came to Jesus in the shadows, or in secret, away from the prying eyes of the day. I don't know about you, but as I get older, I find that, um, shall I say, my sleep patterns get more disturbed. And I don't know about you, but it's in the middle of the night, isn't it, that my mind becomes overwhelmed with thoughts, with anxieties, with worries with struggles with problems it's often in the middle of the night when i wake up and suddenly a thought will drop into my mind and you're away you can't fall back you can't get back to sleep and you just suddenly seem to be overwhelmed by these these thoughts and often they crowd in now am i the only one like that or i see a few sort of Nods, you know, as if uh, we're we're, we're with us. It's actually there in the middle of the night, there that suddenly, perhaps anxieties loom. Anxieties about ourselves or about somebody else. Or maybe the big questions in life, in terms of the meaning of life or what I'm going to do in the future, or what I should be doing in this situation, or what's happening at church, or at my place of work, or, or whatever. It just looms there. Now Nicodemus is an interesting character. He has impeccable credentials. He's a member of the Jewish ruling council, the great Sanhedrin, that met at the Temple of Jerusalem made up of 70 men, and they were the final authority, if you like, in terms of the the Jewish law. He knew his law. He was a Pharisee. That meant that he kept the law, as far as he understood it, to the letter and beyond. He was zealous for the law of the Lord. It goes on in verse 10 to say that he is one of Israel's teachers. He was somebody who taught there. So see, Nicodemus here was still a man with questions. He was still a man who was searching. He was still a man who couldn't understand everything. Would it surprise you if I just simply say that some people sort of think that because I stand up here at front... Every week, on a, every week on a Sunday, I've got all the answers. But well, the reality is that so often I've got all the questions as well. You know, and sometimes you can stand up here quite confidently and you can be doing something quite confidently, but that doesn't mean to say that underneath there is also that agony of uncertainty and of insecurity and of looking for answers there. There. Nicodemus had impeccable credentials but he comes to Jesus in the night maybe he wanted just simply to remain anonymous and at night he could hide in the shadows undiscovered because he was a leading figure in this community and if he was seen to be there with Jesus well it wasn't good secondly for preserving his reputation so he had less chance to be seen. Perhaps he was just simply intrigued by Jesus and the night would hide any embarrassment. Maybe he just simply wanted the time to question Jesus and at night there was less chance of being disturbed. It is often, as I've already said, that at the night when the activity of the day has ceased, That the real issues, and I say the real issues of our lives, come to the fore. And in the darkness, struggles of faith become more acute. The stresses of life close in and overwhelm us. Scripture does not say that Nicodemus was in turmoil or not. But what it does show us is that Jesus does not rebuke Nicodemus. This is no disturbance for Jesus. It's not as if he's settling down with his cup of cocoa to watch the news at 10 and preparing for bed. He's there with Nicodemus. It's no disturbance. He doesn't rebuke him. It reminds me of what Psalm 121 says. It says, where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. He neither slumbers nor sleeps. God is with us there, even in the darkness. God is with us there in the midst of the struggles at midnight or 2am. But Jesus engages Nicodemus in conversation. He welcomes Nicodemus' questions. There's no exasperation from Jesus. Why? Why have you come? Why are you asking these silly questions? He has time. There's no compassion fatigue for Jesus. There's a sense in which Jesus is open to all our questions, all our searching, whatever it might be, at any time of the day or night. He will accept it. Numerous times I hear people sort of say, oh, I can't ask that of Jesus. I can't say that to Jesus. I say, yes, you can. Yes, you can because he'll take it. He'll take it. But you see, what does Jesus do with Nicodemus? Well, he leads him to the cross. He leads him to the cross. There's a reference to it in verse 14, but he leads Nicodemus literally to the cross. There are only three references to Nicodemus in Scripture. Here in John 3, then later on in John chapter 7, and verse 50 uh, to 52. Well, if I can uh, uh, just turn to that, it's uh, a time when there's a bit of debate between the Jewish leaders. And it's Nicodemus who steps into that, that debate. And it says, uh, Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier and who, who was the one one of their own number asked, Does our Lord condemn a man without first hearing him to find out what he has been doing? They replied, Are you a Galilean too? He was there defending Jesus. But it doesn't stop there because later on in John's Gospel, Jesus leads him ever closer to the cross because we find that it's Nicodemus who comes In John John 19 and verses 38, at the burial of Jesus. When Joseph of Arimathea comes to take the body of Jesus down from the cross, who is it that's with him? Verse 39, he was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. And John... Is immediately making that link that he was the man who'd visited Jesus at night. It was Nicodemus who brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 35 kilograms, to anoint the body of Jesus. The relationship that had begun in the night ends in the light of Calvary's cross. The relationship that begins with questions ends with devotion. The thing I believe that God this morning would be wanting to say to each and every one of us, he gives you permission to approach him in the shadows. He gives you permission to approach him in the darkness. That is, in the middle of your questions, in the middle of your struggles, in the middle of your anguish, in the middle of your heartache, and your pain. When life seems like night and dark is so distressing. And you might sort of say, well, how do I do that? How do I come? Well, God has recently, I suppose, been challenging me about praying scripture. And one of the passages of scripture that have been very sort of powerful for me in this context, in the middle of the night, is Philippians 4. And I guess it's a passage that is known by many of us. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all, for the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus our Lord. And finally, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, Whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And whatever you have learned or received or heard from me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. I was challenged by that last phrase, put it into practice. Put it into practice. How good are we at putting into practice God's word? We'll probably read it. We'll probably discuss it. We'll probably dissect it. We'll probably talk about, well, what does Paul really mean (coughs) in this? And come up with 2001 different scenarios. But how good are we at putting it into practice? Of actually using scripture in our daily lives. So I often read this, David, rejoice in the Lord, always. David, I say to you again, rejoice in the Lord. It doesn't say rejoice in me, it doesn't say rejoice in my circumstances, it doesn't say rejoice in my worries or my fears or what's going on around me. It says rejoice in the Lord. Fix your eyes upon the Lord. Fix your eyes upon who he is. What he has done. And I think over that period of time that's what Nicodemus had done. He'd watched Jesus. He'd heard Jesus. And Jesus had ultimately brought him to the cross. That place of devotion where we all have to come, sooner or later. Let your gentleness be evident to all. David, let your gentleness be evident to all. Gentleness is not weakness. It is not weakness. There is a strength in gentleness that actually you know, is very powerful. The Lord is near, David reminding me that the Lord is there in the circumstances, in the situations. Yes, we can talk about, it. does that mean that the Lord is near in terms of the second coming? No, it means that he's near now, you, in your situation, in your circumstances, where you are today, and he's looking for you to turn to him. I will not be anxious about my financial circumstances. I will not be anxious about the doctor's appointment that I have today. I will not be anxious about my son, my daughter. I will not be anxious about that interview that I have. But I will bring it to you, Father. I will make it a petition and I will ask you to be with me And I will ask you to look over my finances. And I pray that you would give me the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that I might know how I might use my finances better. And Father, what are you saying to me through this diagnosis? What are you wanting me to do at this particular time in my life? Because Father, you have been good to me And your word tells me that I'm to come to you with my prayers and my petitions, but with thanksgiving. And I just thank you for the riches of your grace. I just thank you for your love. And I thank you for your care for me for the last 60 odd years. And I thank you, Father, that you have blessed me in so many ways. And you see, it's quite interesting when we start to turn things around. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Because where is it all our fears and all our anxieties and all our worries and all our stresses originate? It originates in our minds. It originates in our heads and in our hearts. What is it they say? There's about uh, 95% of what we worry about never happens. I read something interesting this week in the Bible in one year and a comment by Nicky Gumbel. If you know how to worry, you know how to meditate. All you need to do is change what you think about and you will practice Christian meditation. I found that challenging. I found that very pointed because he's saying it's a matter of what you choose to do. Are we choosing to focus upon the issues or the God who can meet us in those issues? Are we choosing to focus upon the problems or the God who can overcome the problems? Are we choosing to focus upon the fear or the one who has said, I will always be with you? I will never leave you or forsake you. And then, I wish I could learn these words, but somehow, yes, I can quote verses 4 to, to 7 quite straightforwardly. I've memorised them, but I somehow struggle to memorise verses 8. But Paul goes on and says, look, these are the things that you need to focus on. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And then he makes a promise. Then he makes a promise. If you do these things, and the God of peace will be with you. God's peace will be with you. It's looking for the good in the situation. It's looking for what is noble. It's looking for what is right. It's looking for what is pure. It's looking for what is lovely and what is admirable. And holding on to that. And so yes, you personalise that. So Lord, help me today. Help me. Help me to think about what is true, what is noble, what is right what is pure, what is lovely, what is admirable. Those things which are excellent and praiseworthy, those things, help me to dwell on them. And whatever I have learned or received or heard, Father, from your word or through your spirit, help me to put it into practice in the knowledge that the God of peace will be with me. Now, I speak personally on terms of that. It doesn't mean to say I've cracked it, because I haven't. I still have those times of anxiety, those times of worry, those times of fearfulness in the middle of the night. But I'll tell you something. When I start to focus upon a scripture like that in the middle of the night, it's surprising how quickly I fall off back to sleep. And the only conclusion that I have with that is that Satan realises that he's defeated. Satan realises he's defeated. And so I oh, might as well let him go back to sleep. Because he's no longer got me in his grasp of worry, anxiety and fear. Very easy to read, isn't it? Do not be anxious about anything and think, well, that's for everybody else. But I challenge you to personalise it. When you feel anxious, I will not be anxious. I will not worry. I will not be afraid. In the middle of the night. Why? Because God loves me and God's with me and God's there. Let's pray. Now it's very easy to feel condemned when you read scriptures like do not worry, words of Jesus in Matthew's Gospel or when you read Paul where he says do not be anxious. But I don't believe that God is, call, is asking us to be condemned by those. And I want you this morning just in this stillness, just for a moment, if you as someone who is prone to anxiety and worry, particularly in the middle of the night, I want you to just acknowledge that before God. And I want you to say to God this morning, Lord, when that next happens, I'm going to make a very definite effort and commitment to focus my thoughts upon you And not to worry and not to be anxious, but to commit myself, my needs, my situations into your hands and to give thanks for everything that you have blessed me with. Because you have blessed me, Father, in so many ways. And I rejoice in your blessing that I am your child, that I am loved by you, that I am part of your family, and that because of Jesus and his sacrifice at the cross, all my sins are forgiven and I come before you blameless and and holy and free from accusation. Father, these things I will focus upon. And just in these moments, if you've come this morning with any sense of anxiety, just give it back to God. And take these words of Paul and say, Father, I will not be anxious about this, but I entrust it to you. And the peace of God which passes all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.